The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel Advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at Blue Pineapple Travel. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance's mission is to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and to find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and High Echelon. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor who just started class yesterday. Ooh, back to school. My name is <laughs> Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a mom to three girls and a CPA. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina the father to three college students and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. I am glad to be back with both of you once again. Michelle, how you doing? Let's go around the horn real quick. Um, I'm sitting with my legs raised because I'm so <laughs> sore today. I ran hill repeats this morning off of pretty big week for me last week. And I'm at that point of my legs just hurt. They just like ache. So um yeah, I'm I, I'm in like a complaining mode. I I told <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every training cycle I I have one small like or major breakdown or complain or whining and and that was today and it's been several weeks of training with a new coach and she hasn't seen that yet. So hopefully okay. <laughs> But you but you had a phone call with her this morning so she actually got to truly witness it, right? Well, I bitched on the text first. <laughs> We didn't 
really talk about the Hill repeats on the call this morning. It was very, I promised myself that after I sent the text message, I was going to shut up about how much I hated the Hill repeats and how tired my legs are. Right, so right. um, anyway, <laughs> but I do, I feel, I feel like once or twice, I'm just like, no, like I'm not doing that. Or that's, uh, that's not good for me. Or I didn't like that. <laughs> that well, was today. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, your workout today, and you've been running a ton and, and you had a pretty rock solid week last week, which I was super impressed by following you on Strava, which by the way, we're going to talk more about Strava here in just a minute, but Michelle, whatever you have done that has inspired <laughs> you to start naming all of your runs on Strava, I am here for it. It Here's... has been fantastic for the last week or so. Not only have you been like naming your runs, you've been giving them like fantastic names. I love the one that was uh, a little bit of pain before the rain. Yeah, so that was my easy I'm run yesterday. It was like 10 minutes per mile. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, I think Twitter is like an abomination now and it totally sucks. And I used to spend a lot of time on there and then I would link to a lot of articles and got a lot of my running information from there. So and I'm also not so into Instagram at this moment and Facebook has sucked for a long time. So I feel like I'm putting a little bit more effort into Strava because right, maybe you. that's where I need to be spending more time. I, I don't got know. You. I got you. Well, what I was what I was starting to say before I got distracted by how awesome your Strava has been lately was to say that that uh, this was not just any old like hill repeats. This was six by three minutes up a hill, which is an ambitious and difficult hill workout, particularly given how much fatigue you carried into it. So Kudos yeah. for getting it done. Is this like your last big thing before Mountain Mist next Saturday? I said, yes. I was like, oh my God, am I done now? And she told me <laughs> I'm done. So <laughs> so I guess I did say something on the call, but um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm technically starting the taper now. So I have about a 10 day taper, maybe just good okay. for me. I don't want these, you know, I'm, I'm no fan of like a really long drawn out two to three week taper. So, um, but you know, I think I always forget that just because you're quote unquote tapering, like there is still a little bit of hard work that mm -hmm. that sticks around. Yeah. <laughs> just the volume is going to, you know, like I'll run 10 miles this weekend instead of 20, so to speak. So very yeah, we, excited about that. <laughs> we, we've talked on this podcast before that research shows the most effective tapers are ones that you cut really far back on the volume. Um, up to 50% off the volume, um, but you maintain a lot of the intensity in there. So yeah, you certainly have to continue running hard and, and pushing the pace and even going to the well a little bit, even while you're tapering. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for your mountain mist next weekend for sure. Um, Eric, how about you, man? How's your uh, mountain mist going? Your mountain mist training? I'd say it's going well. I think I've had probably one of the best training blocks I've had in probably all year. Well, fantastic. looking back a year. Mm -hmm. Um, so a 12 month period, uh, getting ready for this. I did a couple of runs where I was really surprised. In fact, I got a comment. I'm not sure I got a kudo, but I got a comment from a shell on one of the rides. <laughs> yeah. Runs, runs, sorry. Runs, not a ride. Yeah. I, I did a, it was like 16 and a quarter mile run. And it was one of those where I, I just kind of went out thinking, now oh, I'll run about eight, eight thirty pace and take it really easy. And I wasn't looking at my watch. I was intentionally not looking at the pace I was running. And I think I was running in the seven forties mm -hmm. uh, for the first 12 miles. And then I, I took a break to get a drink. I pulled a Michelle. I actually uh, pulled off <laughs> at a gas station. And I was going to say, so I, I imagine that that meant purchasing something at a gas station. Yes, with yeah, money you brought yeah, with exactly. You. Yeah. Okay. Never, never done that before. Most okay. One second. How amazing, <laughs> how amazing was that freezing cold drink from the gas station? 
I, I actually did not get a freezing cold drink because I was freezing cold. Oh, uh, okay. I got a I got a, a warm one one off the shelf, and I'm good I, with that also. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it, it was fan. Fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> but at that point, I looked down at my watch and I was like, oh man, I'm running a whole lot faster than I wanted to. So I, I backed it off a little bit. I started looking at my watch and I backed it off a little bit. But what's funny is, you know, and we're going to, I'm going to preview, we're going to talk about some of these things that you can get from your watch or from Strava down the road, some of these tech things. Mm -hmm. When I went back and looked at my um, grade adjusted pace, I was still running 740s for the rest of the run. So I was I was actively trying to slow down to about eight, you know, a little over eight, eight, ten, and I was still running 740s when you look at the great adjusted pace. So because because was, you had a lot of hills in the back part of your run? Yeah, the last it was the last four miles. I stopped at 12 and then um, I had four miles to go. Mm -hmm. And it basically is two two climbs, you know, three, it's actually three climbs, um, but one's really short. So but I I was I felt really good. And it was one of those runs where you awesome. finish and you're like, meh, I can go, you know, do whatever. It wasn't like I was destroyed and I was like wobbling around. So I feel like this training block has set me up. Um, the only, you know, the only issue I, I have two issues right now. One is the back of my uh, right upper leg, sorry, my left upper leg has been bothering me for a good month and a half. And I've been doing a lot of rolling and uh, stretching on that and trying to be careful with it doesn't ever bother me while I run. It only bothers me after the run. So I'm, I'm concerned like, like, like your high hamstring. Yeah. I'm okay. concerned that in a race activity that might become an issue. And then the other one, um, I've intentionally stayed off the trails until I think I, I went back out on Sunday. I, I went back out to the trails and because I've had a problem with my right ankle, I, I hyper, it's not hyperextended. I don't know. What's the opposite of hyperextension where you. Hypoextension? There isn't. Yeah my, yeah, my toe came up too high, you know, and I, I, I labeled that run. I think Michelle might have said something about that run, too. That's the one where I, I fell twice and right. jammed my ankle. Right. And on the roads, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, but when I get off road and you step on that um, root or that rock that just catches you off guard and your toe comes up and the ball, foot, your foot comes up a little higher, it hurts. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that, um, caught me a couple times, uh, on Sunday. Um, and then this morning for some weird reason, I was driving to the dentist and it was hurting just driving the car. So mm -hmm. I've got to figure that out, but I don't think these are, these aren't definitely not showstoppers. Um, these okay. are just those pre-race niggles. I, I'm, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. Awesome. Very good. You know, the high hamstring thing, I wonder about your bike fit. Um, because if your seat is a little bit too high and you're having to reach for the bottom of the pedal stroke, that actually can can cause pain in that spot right there in your high hamstring. Not saying that's, that's what it is, but that but that is a thing. That's interesting because I, I actually was just thinking about my seat is too low. Hmm. <laughs> I okay. I was sitting there, I was I was uh, in a in a recent race, a WRTL race, I was our WTRL race. I was um, I was thinking something's off here. Something doesn't feel right. And the only thing I've changed since the last season was the seat height, hmm. um, and it was unintentional. It was a repair job where I didn't get the seat back where it was, and I kind of hmm. guesstimated where hmm. to put it. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought maybe it was a little too low, but hmm. maybe you're right. Hmm. Maybe yeah. maybe it's a little too high. 
or, or maybe it's too low and it's causing a lot of torque in, in a strange place and it just manifests itself in that spot. So, right. so yeah, I mean, but, but seat positioning is something that, that certainly can, can cause damage, um, yeah. or, or create niggles, uh, for sure. Um, well, cool, man. I'm glad both of y'all are training well and feeling strong. I, and the opposite i've been training kind of stupid as you both know but we're, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna circle around to that here in just a few minutes when we talk about the houston marathon um but 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 i look forward to talking about that a little bit more um but yeah i'm i'm, I'm glad that things are going so well here um uh strength workout check-in michelle have you done any strength work this week last it's time we on... talked about it you were two for two or are you three for three now i will be by sundown tonight All right, right oh on. Actually, maybe by like 9 p.m. tonight. I forget we're still, the sun goes down at like four o'clock. So. All right. Very good. Very it's good. on my um, plan to, if I had actually started my run when I wanted to this morning, I would have had about 45 minutes after to come right back and do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have done it because <laughs> mm -hmm. I was not happy after the run, but it mm -hmm. is in my mind to do it this evening. So hopefully right. this cool. keeps me very accountable. So thanks for that. Hey, no problem. No problem. So good to hear. Um, I, I'm kind of in the same place with strength work as I was last time. I've done like little bits of it here and there over the course of the last uh, a week or so. Um, but I uh, I beat myself up so badly over the weekend that doing strength work is just far beyond what I consider to be advisable right now, which is kind of the whole reason why you shouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. But anyway, like I said, we're going to talk more about that in just a minute here. Um, let me uh, remind everybody, too, about the uh, race report guests, the podcast guests that are coming back in over the course of the next uh, uh, year here. Um, I mentioned on the podcast last week that that we are going to start doing race reports again, where we invite people to come on before their race, talk about their training, their expectations, um, whatever they might be nervous about or excited about, a particular race that they're doing, a big target, um, and then come on afterwards and, and tell us how it went. Um, we had two people people over the course of the last week since we made that first announcement actually reach out uh, and talk to us about races that they are willing to come on the podcast and talk about which I'm psyched about both of them um, one we're gonna, gonna have somebody talk come on and talk about the Boston Marathon another one we're gonna have somebody come on and talk about um, a race that's part of the UMT, uh, UTMB race series um, in Salzburg Austria so so some pretty cool stuff that that, that that I'm super excited about but if you fall into that category of somebody who is uh, doing a big target race this year and you're willing to come on the podcast to talk about it um i encourage you to do that because uh those are always fun and interesting um a couple other things kind of in the in case you missed it category um at the end of 2022 in the new york times uh there was an article about track and field um uh, uh, that featured a guy that was my captain at Georgia Tech when I was a freshman. Um, his name was Derek Adkins, um, and he was originally from New York, um, and he was a 400-meter hurdler. Um, he was a fifth-year senior, and like I said, my captain when I was a freshman. And so he and I weren't close, but we did know one another. Um, and he went on to be a world champion, and then ultimately in 1996, he won the Olympic championship in the 400-meter hurdles. And so one of the highlights for me looking back on the 1996 Olympics where I worked was when I was working at the, the warm-up track, and he actually came back to the warm-up track after his race um, with his gold medal. Um, and, and I got to see him and congratulate him and, of course, see his gold medal, um, which was very cool. Um, but he has, over the course of the past uh, couple of decades, struggled a lot with alcoholism and depression. Um, and it's only very recently um, that he saw a doctor that linked that to 
some potential brain injury that he might have suffered during his hurdling career. Wow. Uh, as a hurdler, um, he fell on the hurdles several times, right? Um, it's not something that happens a ton, um, but it's certainly something that, that has happened to pretty much every world-class hurdler at one time or another. Fell on the hurdle, then hit his head on, on the track. Um, and, and the doctor that he saw over the course of the past year uh, said, you know, that might actually have caused some sort of brain damage that, that eventually manifested itself 10 to 15 years later in depression, which led to alcoholism, um, put him on a separate medication. And he said it was like night and day. Um, and so he has now become an advocate for being careful and being mindful about the health of your brain if you're a hurdler or uh, some other sportsman who who hits their head. Um, he's been very uh, adamant about uh, not discouraging people from undertaking the hurdles, not saying that you shouldn't be a hurdler, um, but rather saying that if you hit your head while hurdling or while doing some other sporting activity, uh, that you need to get checked out and make sure that you didn't cause more damage than you might think. So yeah, if you haven't checked that out, make sure that you check that out. Um, like I said, it's a few weeks old. It's from the last week of, of 2022 there in the New York Times. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention, um, Eric, did you see, because I know that you have Achilles problems similar to the Achilles problems that I have. Did you see the graph that uh, was posted on Instagram by Lab Rat Rundown, the guy that we've talked about more than one time? I think we've made it very clear that I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> However, to answer your question more directly... No, but I am interested. <laughs> um, well, it was a cool image. Um, and, and in the image, um, he basically uh, shared a compilation of a bunch of uh, different research that has been done over the course of the last little while about load rates to people's calves and Achilles. Uh, and so in other words, uh, looking at the research that has been done, um, what is it that actually increases the load on people's calves and Achilles the most? According to various articles, it's not just one, um, one, two, three, four, five, six things have been shown to increase demand on uh, calf and Achilles tendon. Um, and one, two, three, four, five things have been shown to decrease uh, calf and Achilles tendon loading. Eric, can you guess what any of the five things that increase calf and Achilles tendon loading are? Are these uh, external or internal? So they're external. I would say uh, downhill and or uphill, depending on the pace you're running uphill. and so the pace you are running. You're Okay, so you're right. Uh, there was one study that, that had people run at a 5% uphill grade, and they found that that increases calf and Achilles tendon loading. So in other words, if you if you run uphill a lot or if you're doing a lot of uphill repeats, that's going to put your, your Achilles and your calf under greater strain. And if you have a bad one or an injured one or an injury-prone one, uh, that's an issue. Um, but then also... Uh, another study looked at 20% faster run velocity. That also increases the load on your calf and your Achilles tendon um, and is something to be kept in mind as well. Other ideas? Michelle, you're welcome to jump in too. Well, just what are you supposed to do? Run on flat ground? Effectively, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> you know? um, <laughs> These aren't, um, no, no. George didn't say 
these are things that will damage your Achilles. He's simply saying these are things that increase loading. The load, so but you right. take that into account maybe with your training and your strength training and whatnot. I think that's the direction we're headed, right, George? So exactly, exactly. Yes, um, uh, for sure. So, but but to answer your question more directly, if you have an injured Achilles, if you're actually dealing with something um, that's related to the load that is on your calf and Achilles tendon, and that would include like plantar fasciitis or something like that, then yeah, maybe you should avoid hills for a little while and run on flats for a little while um, uh, in order to, to avoid that increased loading. But other things, I'll just go ahead and tell you. Other things that other things that increase loading that I thought were interesting. The the thing that increased the load the most um, is people who adopted a four foot strike, and so mm. people who like decided that oh I want to be a four foot runner like they bought into that whole narrative about four foot strike. Um, those people uh, uh, greatly increased the the uh, calf and Achilles tendon loading. Adopting minimalist shoes. Um, or shoes with a five millimeter drop that actually increase the loading, um, which is very similar to running uphill to most of us. If you've been running in a high drop shoe. Sure. Sure. Um, and then the last one, and the one that really is stuck in my head that actually increased your calf and Achilles tendon loading is treadmill running. Huh? Right. Why? I don't know. Why. That was a right with a question mark after it. Right. So, so it was like, I, 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 I was very surprised by that. Um, such that I actually am going to dig a little bit more into the the literature and find the particular study that that, that mentioned that. Um, but but yeah, treadmill running evidently increases your calf and Achilles tendon loading, um, which is something that that for me, I mean, I do a lot of treadmill running, as both of you know. Um, and given the fact that I have Achilles issues, if I'm increasing the load on my Achilles via the treadmill, that's something for me to keep in mind, uh, for sure. Um, and then, of course, the the things that decreased calf loading uh, and Achilles tendon loading, if you increase your cadence by 5%, that will do it. Uh, adopting a maximalist shoes, uh, that helps. Um, increasing your cadence even more by 10%. Um, uh, slowing down, doing 20% slower run velocity uh, makes a big difference. And then the one that, that, that actually struck me the most as far as reductions was a shoe with a rocker on it, which I thought was interesting. Oh, wow. And so rocker shoe geometry has been shown in the lab to reduce calf and Achilles tendon loading. Reduce. So, so reduce, not eliminate, certainly, but reduce. I like that. And you know, what's interesting, the shoes that I ran that 16 mile run in and the shoes that I've been doing most of my long runs in are the New Balance Fuel Cell Super Comp Trainer. I like to make sure I say all the names there. And they have a better rocker than any shoe I've ever run in. Mm -hmm. uh, for my style of running, my pace of running, where I run, and all those things taken into account. And it just, I wonder if, and after a 16 mile run, like I said, I didn't, it didn't bother me. Mm -hmm. Like usually a longer run like that will bother my Achilles, mm -hmm. but those, it did not bother me. A, so. a, a slower run with rocker shoes, not on a treadmill. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and your Achilles felt pretty good afterwards, right? right. And um, like there, I said, there, there were some hills in that run. That was yeah. not a that was not an easy run. It was about a thousand feet, I think, of elevation over those sixteen miles. So it's pretty good elevation mm -hmm. too. So mm -hmm. very good. Yeah. So I I was actually thinking about those shoes because you had talked about those shoes when when uh, we reported on the Delirium twenty four hour, um, and and you had talked about how great those shoes were. Um, I was thinking about those because I now have a shoe conundrum. 
um, that I'll explain a little bit more here in just a few minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but but yeah. Um, all right, let's talk a little about Strava. So so I mentioned just a few minutes ago that that just in time for for Michelle to start engaging in Strava more deeply, Strava is in the news and maybe not for such great reasons. And so so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, Michelle, you want to give us the recap on that one? Not really. <laughs> I, I don't really understand, you know, the the ins and outs of exactly what they did or why they did it. But essentially, they hiked up, you know, people's price to belong to the platform. They didn't really give much warning or explanation as to, you know, what they were going to do and what increments that they were going to increase it by. And it just seems to kind of have sent the endurance community that use uses Strava in, into a tailspin. A little a lot bit, of yeah. complaining. <laughs> but, but you know, actually you explained it really well because you, you're saying that you don't totally understand what they're doing is exactly the problem. Well, um, exactly, yeah. right. Because, because <laughs> nobody totally understands what it is they're doing. And and frankly, it kind of seems like Strava doesn't totally understand what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, well, they're they just can't. Unwilling, they're unwilling to say because they don't want yeah. to yeah. make their yeah. customers mad. And I, this so did, be it, be it, be it incompetence or lack of transparency, there's definitely an issue there one way or another. Go ahead, Eric. Well, did we already talk about this and how for the new year, we were, you know, Michelle and I bought into Strava for the new year. Right. And on that podcast, Michelle said I had to pay, what was it you had to pay? Oh Michelle? yeah, I remember that. So I got a 25% discount. I think that cost me $69. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Michelle but- spent $69 mm-hmm. and the whole time you guys were talking about that. I thought Michelle had misspoke because I had just spent $89. Right. So and I and received I, and, and my subscription, I think it's really 120 something. And my so subscription I, costs $59. <laughs> so so I, I've been a subscriber for a while. I mean, I've been a subscriber for a long time. I've been subscribed since 2014. Um, but the last time my subscription renewed in September of 2022, um, it was $59. Yeah. So we are the <laughs> perfect example right? of what um, DC Rainmaker was talking about in this article. Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to do which I've been I've been thinking about ever since we had this conversation and I realized that Michelle did not misspeak about paying $69 for something that I paid $89 for. And I paid $59 for. You hadn't said that, so now, <laughs> now I'm even more upset. But the, That's the point is awful. neither, so you're a, you're a special case um, for many reasons, George, but for this one specifically, <laughs> because you already had a subscription, but Michelle and I on the same day, within an hour of one another, True signed up and got a $20 differential. So right. am I am I mad about the $20? No, but I think the 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 point here is that it wasn't very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and send them an email and say I want my $20 back. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to say I want my $30 back because my friend George only paid $30. <laughs> so so and their response is going to be oh our bad and jack up my price at $30. No, I'm not going to actually say who it, well you know what I do know your username in Strava so I could do that. No. no I'm going to do this just to see what they say. Mm-hmm. You know I, and I've budgeted for this. I'm I'm using my work hey you run here's some money because it lowers your healthcare costs money for this. So I've kind of budgeted for it but I think it's interesting. I think it's definitely a marketing piece. 
-hmm. I don't think this is random. I think this is 100% marketing. Although I am surprised that the price in Atlanta was less than the price in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very surprised and I'm, I'm wondering yeah. how that came about. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see. So, so to back up a couple of steps here um, and, and to kind of explain what's going on, um, even though we just sort of, as part of talking about this, stumbled into the fact that we're a really good example of, of exactly the problem, um, <laughs> is that Strava has effectively announced that they're going to be raising prices over the course of 2023, which uh, I get that, you know, and I don't begrudge Strava raising prices. Um, and I think most people would generally agree that, that Strava raising prices is an okay thing. They haven't raised prices in a really long time, and they have a whole lot of really good offerings, and they play a pretty central role in the endurance community, not only in the United States, around the but around the world. Uh, they have 100 million users in 195 different countries, um, and so, so they want to increase their price a little bit. Okay, that's great. The problem is, as we're finding out, is that nobody knows exactly what the price of Strava is going to be. And people are getting emails. Some people are getting emails saying, when your Strava renews, it's going to be $99. Oh, when your Strava renews, it's going to be $79. Um, and then, of course, new people are signing up. And when you sign up, you don't know exactly how much it's going to cost and things like that. And then when you actually write to Strava or when you look at their press releases, it's not any clearer. Um, and so currently, if I look at my account on Strava, which I'm looking at it right now, um, it says subscriber since August 21st, 2014. And it says your annual membership will renew on September 21st, 2023 for $59. All right, $59. That's fine. That's kind of what it's cost me over the course of the last little while here. I haven't gotten an email that suggests that it's going to be more. Um, but I may get an email sometime over the course of the next month. It might be that 30 days before the actual subscription renews, I'm going to get an email then. Yeah, I, I don't, I, you don't know. Really That's knows. the whole point. Nobody, right. nobody knows. Okay. Wait a second, guys. I just went through bank transactions, American Express transactions, which are my two forms of payment. And I actually only paid $59.99 for Strava. <laughs> so me and George are in the same club and Eric, I don't know about you. <laughs> don't it know about have, this. I'm not going to do the search. It may have been $79.99. I just knew it was $20 more than whatever you paid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so I'll, I'll verify the numbers and then I'll say literally within an hour of one another, we signed up and we got a different price yeah. and, and see what they say. You know, yeah. like I said, yeah. I, I budgeted for it. So I'm not all that worried about it. It's my first shot at it. So, and I'm so far, I, I actually appreciate the metrics that Strava provides. I do too. Um, and it's, uh, it's actually helped me move away from having like multiple platforms that I'm spending a lot of time looking at. I'm actually focusing a little more just on Strava because it's mm -hmm. the, you know, it brings everything together essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. But yeah, I, 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 think it's I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind paying a little bit more. I'm not going to say exactly how much more because I don't want anybody to hear that and hold me to it. Um, but but I, I wouldn't mind paying a little bit. I pay five dollars a month. That's how much I've paid since I was a subscriber. Right. Five dollars a month is really not a whole lot. Um, that's pretty good. Um, and so I'd be willing to pay a little bit more than that. Um, but they I just don't know exactly how much they expect me to pay or they want me to pay when, in fact, it auto renews come September. So um, and it's that, this it's could that lack be, of transparency that's problematic. Yeah. And this could be simply a marketing test. Mm -hmm. They could be presenting different prices, even in the same market 
for the point of seeing what that limit is. What people are willing to pay. Yeah, what people are willing to pay. Mm-hmm. And I'm just on the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder if they have like a bot running this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like if Eric emails them, like, is chat GPT going to reply to Eric's email or like is customer service actually going to help him? But no, I'm just kidding. But in the same regard, like it could just be what Eric said, like they piloted mm-hmm. a bunch of different and for the new people that sign up, it's like, well, if 30%, you know, if they, if X percentage of people bought it at this type of lower price, like what is the deviation of what people, of what the most people are willing to spend to finally jump in and join the membership? Right. Like that would be really good information for them, even right. though if that's what they're doing, it's a really like disingenuous way to go about it. At least I think so. And, and yeah. when better to do that when you have something like the end of year tally video, you have that and you know people want it because the previous year you gave it to them for free. Mm-hmm. So now you're just going to hit them. Well, if you want to see this, you got to pay. Mm-hmm. And so some people 59, some people 69, some people 79, some people 129, and you get a lot of really good information really quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we figured it out. Um, the uh, lack of transparency, um, I think also for me at least, stands in really stark contrast to what's going on at Trainer Road right now. So Trainer Road is is where the group workouts, the virtual group workouts that I lead um, every Wednesday and Friday mornings are uh, located. But Trainer Road um, has uh, rolled out lots of features over the course of the last uh, several years. Um, and my price for me as a subscriber to Trainer Road has actually never gone up. Um, and so Trainer Road announced uh, within the last couple of weeks that they are raising their prices. But those of us who are early adopters in like 2014 and 2015 of Trainer Road, Um, those of us who were some of the earliest subscribers to Trainer Road, they said, we're raising the price, but we promised you back in the day that we would never raise the price on you. So you can opt out of a price increase if you want to. Um, You can still have all the same features. Um, We still consider you a valuable part of our community. Um, But if you heard us make that promise back in 2015 um, and you want to hold us to that, then we're not going to begrudge you that. Here's your different options. This is what you're currently paying. You can pay uh, what the new rate is. You can keep what your current rate is and you just keep it over what the new rate would be. Or we'll give you a 15% discount. Um, so I, so I, I opted to actually go ahead and pay them a little bit more to actually increase my own subscription price, um, but not for the full amount that somebody who's signing up for Trainer Road tomorrow would actually be paying. So yeah, thinking about the psychology of a consumer, I don't know. I, I very much appreciate the fact that they gave me the option to opt out and made made it almost like made me respect them more and made me actually not want to opt out. <laughs> this is a this is a brilliant uh marketing move by trainer road. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this is how you create customer loyalty. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, you know, you don't even know how they came up with their pricing scheme. Your 15% discount could still give them a profit. Like mm-hmm. the way they sure. set their pricing might be set up to where your 15% discount is just like, it's still really good for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, you know, good on them also with that. But, but 
as opposed, like juxtaposed to what Strava's doing, like, mm-hmm. did you not, do you not know that these people talk to one another? <laughs> it's a community. It's a community, right? Like you created the community, right. you know? And, and so I don't think, but I think Strava has more street cred and I think Strava has more data with, well, it's, sure. it's a larger platform. Yeah. Yeah. So they can get away with that. So you almost have like the the Costco versus the mom and I, I don't want to, that's not quite the differential, but the, the Costco versus say the fleet feet, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. sized where you have a dedicated following. Mm-hmm. So I think this is really interesting. And this is, you know, I, for those of you who don't know on the podcast, um, I got my MBA um, while I was in the Navy. And one of the things I learned people with MBAs come up with stuff like this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, these are because, because, they want, you know, they, they have questions they want to answer. It's pretty much a social experiment to see what you're willing to pay for a service. They have to figure out how to do that. Um, and the customer loyalty versus what you're going to pay is this, you know, it's this balancing act. Mm-hmm. So I think your reaction to Trainer Road is is phenomenal because you really believe in the product. You, you appreciated the openness and that's what you want. I think our previous reaction to Strava is like, I kind of feel like my, I'm handcuffed, so I'm going to pay it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I told you I budgeted for it, so it's it's okay. But I think a lot of people might be like, "Well, all my data's there," mm-hmm. so it's like you're you're a <laughs> you're a prisoner. You're a prisoner. Right. You're yeah. Now yeah. you could always say, "I don't want the subscription anymore," and your data doesn't go anywhere, but you lose the metrics. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Um, it's just a study in contrast, for sure. Um, and I I. I can't say I have nothing but love for for Strava, but I can say that about Trainer Road. Um, Trainer Road always responds to my emails. They always respond to my tweets, be they good or bad. You know, if if I ever reach out to them or tag them in something. Um, and so, given all the various features that they've rolled out, in addition over the course of the past seven or eight years since I became a member, I'm yeah, I'm willing to give them a little bit more money. Um, and and again, the 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 thing that sealed the deal for me is the fact that they gave me the option to pay less. <laughs> I could pay less. Okay, I'll pay more. <laughs> yeah, I guess technically this shows both the brilliance and the uh, the sinister nature of an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, all right, let's talk about the Houston Marathon. Um, and so Houston Marathon had some some interesting and good performances for sure. Um, uh, did you track people at the Houston Marathon, Michelle? So I uh, employed people to track the people that I wanted to track for me. Um, but then it became necessary for me to download the tracker to track you, actually. Um, so I did end up tracking you. But I got my information about you from my app because I downloaded it and information about everybody else I was following from another text group that I'm on. So oh, okay. I, I had, I had my, I had my girlfriends doing that job for me. I mean, they were all tracking you, but then I, I got a, a special request from Casey that <laughs> just to make sure you were alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so no. I, I felt an obligation to download the app and, and make right. sure that you were continuing to, you know, check in every few kilometers. Well, well, so. well we, we should say, because we, we've talked around this a few times on the podcast already today, that I actually ran the Houston Marathon <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, back this past Sunday. I had originally been planning to run the Houston Half Marathon since I'm running Mountain Mist, of course, next week, and then I'm running the Austin Marathon next month. 
And so two weeks out from Mountain Mist, five weeks out from the Austin Marathon, running a half marathon seemed to be a really good thing to do. A lot of my friends um, were running the the uh, Houston Half Marathon, and so I signed up for the Houston Half Marathon as well. Um, and I was excited to go and to run the Half Marathon. But about a week and a half out, I booked my travel, and I kind of started thinking about what I wanted to get out of the trip and that sort of thing. And, and I just kind of said, you know... I might actually enjoy running the marathon more than I enjoy running the half marathon. I might actually get more out of going there and running the full 26.2 miles rather than the 13.1 miles. Um, and in my defense, I wrote an email to the Houston marathon people saying, can I change? <laughs> what Not are you saying defending? I want wait, 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 to change. What are you defending? So, so the fact that His I made decision. this terrible decision to run a marathon <laughs> two weeks before a, a, a an ultra marathon. Okay. The, the, the um, second thing is, how does this defend that choice? Well, that so, so I wrote to them and I said, I said, can I switch? Like I read about how one could possibly switch, but I don't see this button where it's supposed to be. Like, is this a possibility? And they wrote me back and said, we switched you. <laughs> oh, okay. I get it. I get it. And, and I was like, well, it looks like I'm running a marathon now. Um, yeah. And... See, your, your question was, um, is it possible not will you do this? But yes. it could be interpreted both ways. And they yes. basically said yes and yes. Yeah, exactly. And you so, answer both so, questions at once. Yeah, so so uh, so nine days out from the race, I was now signed up for for the marathon rather than the half marathon. And that's you know, if if an MBA had answered your email, it would have said <laughs> yes, but it's going to cost you four hundred dollars. What do you think? <laughs> yes, but it's going to cost you some amount. It did cost me a little bit more in order to uh, to 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 switch over, as you would imagine, um, but not four hundred dollars happily. Um, and so I, of course, took that as an opportunity to buy a new jersey, and so I wore a real goofy jersey with a with a cat riding a shark in space with a cowboy hat on um, over a rainbow um, and uh, uh, put on my my endorphin as Michelle speed. rolls her eyes so yeah put on put on my endorphin speeds and uh, and and started the marathon on Sunday morning instead um, now they started the half marathon and the marathoners all together Michelle you ran it last year so you're certainly well aware of that um, it is and that, that actually heck of a math for, start yeah, it made for a very chaotic start. Um, and yeah. that was I had I had two complaints about the race, and that's one of them. Um, is that the start was very physical and very chaotic. Um, that there were lots of people shoving me, throwing me elbows, all sorts of other things. And I think that was in part because of the mass start, but I think it's also in part because people go to Houston to run fast times. Um, they go there to yeah. PR, they go there to to Olympic qualify, they go or trials qualify. Um, they go there for a wide variety of reasons and they take it seriously. And so if you're in front of them in the first quarter mile of the race, they're going to shove you out of the way. Um, so, which is I exactly mean, what happened. At least they let you get through the start line. If you were in Valencia that morning, you didn't even make it to the start line before you got shoved down to the ground. So, right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it was interesting my to... case why I will, I have not ever run a marathon. So, <laughs> People Most road marathons jerks. are not people, mass starts. These people are such jerks. I mean, you would never, <laughs> road ever, are. <laughs> you would never experience that in an ultra. So uh, I would hope not, because hopefully people in an ultra wouldn't go blasting out the way that people in, uh, that are trying to run a fast half marathon would. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it, it, it was interesting overall 
to run. It's the first time I've run a race, I think, since Chicago of 2017, that was a race where people go to run times. And that's and that's a different situation. You know, a race where people go to run times, people uh, uh, will go out hard and they'll start strong and they'll hang on. Right. Um, Not by coincidence. I was 341st overall at the 5K and I finished 187th. Right. (laughs) Um, I mean, I passed 170 people over the last 37 kilometers of this race. Right. As running rogue smiles. (laughs) I mean, we were just we were just just rolling past people the entire time because because people went out so fast. Um, um, You know, I, I was around a whole lot more elite women than I normally am because I was running in the mid two forties and that's what a lot of elite women run. And they went there to run those fast times. Um, I kept running past people who had started way too fast and were walking, including like pro runners, um, both men and women uh, that had said, I'm here to run two eleven, or I'm here to run two fifteen or two eighteen to qualify for, for the Olympic trials for the men or two thirty six to qualify for the Olympic trials for the women. And just, they ran that for as long as they could. And then they blew up. Um, and so now they're walking or now they're puking on the side of the road or something else like that. That's not something you see as much. That's not something I saw at all at London. Um, but these races where people are are chasing times, um, you see that a whole lot more. And so it, it it definitely had a different feel, I think, because it's it's one of these races like CIM, like Chicago, um, where people go to try and run a particular time. Uh, um. Can we just, on the topic of time, can we just say that 86 women broke three hours at this marathon? Mm -hmm. So you must have been surrounded by women. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was. So 37 37 women finished in front of me. Um, That's incredible. But but yeah, um, I ran ran 247.29 and and 37 women beat me. Um, And and which is great. But but yeah. I hadn't been around this many women since I did Chicago in 2017. Um, and so I was, I was constantly around women and running with women. Um, the uh, last four miles when it really kind of started to string out a little bit and I was having to dig deep to hang on. Um, there were four or five people kind of in my general area. Um, and two of them were women. Um, uh, and so that's just, that's, that's a different sort of experience than, than I had in pretty much every other race that I ever run. Um, um, at the London Marathon, I mentioned that I beat the lead amateur woman in the last mile. I passed her with about 2K to go. Um, here at this race, I passed a couple of women with 2K and 1K to go, and that still left 37 women in front of me. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, um, it's a much different feel, much different feel. Um, Michelle, you ran it last year. You like the Houston Marathon, right? I do like the Houston Marathon. I liked the championship vibe of a race Mm -hmm. that, you know, it reminded me a lot of California International Marathon and the Mm -hmm. fact that it's not a world marathon major, but it's kind of gotten itself to that next tier. Mm -hmm. Um, People go there to run fast. So I think it's hard because there are certain parts where it felt like you know, it's this big championship race and and you feel the marathon, but you're also kind of strung out in downtown Houston. So it can also feel completely desolate because it's a very like commercial city and no businesses are open on the weekend, right? There's, it's not residential, like nobody lives down there. Um, so if you weren't at the convention center or, you know, at a hotel lobby with a bunch of other marathoners, 
I remember we'd walk outside and it was like, oh my gosh, is this Panera even open today? Like the most and, basic and the, of And stuff. the answer is no, it's not open. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, <laughs> so. it, was, it was funny. Like I said at one point, I don't think anybody is here except for runners. Because you would go outside and there'd be a bunch of people running, like more people than you would expect to see running in, in a downtown area. But they were the only people out. Right. Um, on Saturday morning, I, I entered breakfast into Google Maps and all these breakfast places pop up with these reviews that say things like, I eat breakfast here every morning. You know, the pancakes are the best pancakes I ever had. And but every single one open. of those places were closed. <laughs> every one of um, them were closed. And I ended up eating breakfast at Starbucks because that was the only place that was open on Saturday morning in downtown Houston. So... Um, yeah. I remember because I was with Lauren Fogarty and she's a vegan, we took an Uber to some like far away vegan place. Mm -hmm. But honestly, there was nothing else around that was even an option. So it was like, great, let's do it. Let's get out of here. Right. Um, right. But I thought the course was great. I mean, it's fast. Everybody knows that, but it's not fast. Like CIM is fast with rolling hills. Like it is, mm -hmm. it's flat. Mm -hmm. um, and it gets really residential on the back half. So if you're not loving <laughs> the way it feels running, you can sort of get lost in the beautiful homes. And I mean, beautiful mm -hmm. homes. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like the spectators are very into the race. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was just as a city Houston was, it wasn't like this, God bless Texas vibe. It wasn't like this crazy place that I thought it was going to be, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I was I was impressed when it, when it comes to those two things that you mentioned, I was impressed with the number of the trees on course. Yep. Um, like I, I thought it was just going to be like all open and concrete and no trees. Um, and there were a couple of places where we were running under like a full blown tree canopy, which was just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I was very much impressed by that. Um, and most of those were in residential areas. And then I, I was also impressed by the number of fans that actually turned out, um, not just at the finish, because there was gobs of fans at the finish for sure. I mean, there was 20,000 people in the race. If every single one of those people brought one fan with them, then then, yeah, there were a whole lot of people there. Um, but spread throughout the course, people coming out of their houses, people going into to civic areas like in the centers of some of these suburbs that we ran through and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I was I was super impressed with the uh, with the the people who came out to cheer and make noise and have signs and and everything else like that. It was super cool. Um, I will say, as we were running the course, um, as promised, the ideas that were mentioned in Running Wild Black by Allison uh, Desir um, did cross my mind because we didn't run through neighborhoods that represent the diversity of Houston. No, this is uh, <laughs> um, we, a very white yeah, race. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so so we ran through through uh, the super nice neighborhoods, um, which uh, were, were largely white neighborhoods for sure. Um, and so so so, yeah. Um, but these massive, you know, 12 million dollar homes and, and, and everything <laughs> else there along the way. Um, and then in the back half of the race. So around mile 21, 22, 23, you run through this park called Memorial Park. And so, of course, there's no houses in Memorial Park. And I was super impressed that the race officials put up speakers about every 200 feet that had a DJ playing music through the speakers. Yep. Yeah, um, I thought that was cool. Um, that's not something I had seen before. Um, and I was impressed by that at a place where they knew there weren't going to be a whole lot of fans because they made sure be. to make, make sure there was something else that, <laughs> yeah. that could actually keep us going. I thought that was neat. I thought, yeah, that was I, I think generous. Houston is, you know, it's definitely like reached that crescendo of this is a place to go if you want to compete and run fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, some of the results, you know, speak for themselves in terms of the elites, but you have to remember, like, they're not. There's no, you know, five, six figure 
appearance fee for there right. for them. So when right. when the big guns go there, you know, it's it's got to be a good one. So yeah, for sure, for sure. So so with that in mind, there was actually a sprint finish for the uh, the men's marathon. Uh, a guy that named was D- Dominic Andoro, yeah, beat Sadat Ayana. If you haven't watched that on YouTube, you should watch it. Like it doesn't end the way you think it's going to end. <laughs> so he ran two ten thirty six. Um, third place was was a guy from the U.S. named uh, Tashomi McConan. Um, so first American was third. Um, and then the women's marathon, the second fastest ever Japanese woman. Um, she missed the Japanese Ameri- or Japanese record, the national Japanese Japanese national record. There it is. Um, by only twelve seconds, she ran two nineteen twenty four for the win. Um, that was Hitomi Naya, and she was super impressive. She's actually coming back, I think, from several years uh, out of the sport. Oh, yeah. So and she had said when asked after the race, like why? I mean, Japan is, you know, that place is running crazy, especially right. distance running on the road. Right. Um, but she said she felt too much pressure at home. Hmm. Uh, so she wanted to come here and try to do it. But she's broken some other Japanese records. She, she, in... she currently holds the half marathon women's record yeah. in Japan. So yeah. Yeah. but yeah, what a great run from her. For sure. For so. sure. Speaking of uh, of half marathons, uh, the the winner of the half marathon was from Ethiopia, a guy named Leo Geber Salazi. He ran sixty thirty four, um, and then sixth place was Connor Mance, who we've talked about on this uh, podcast several times. Uh, the American running uh, sixty one twelve, running one hundred one twelve for half marathon. So going for him, but. Of course, the performances of the day uh, came, I think, in the women's half marathon. Uh, the women's half marathon was won by Hiwat Gebermarian. Uh, she ran 66-28, uh, 106-28. And then Emily Sisson came in second, 30, 24 seconds later, in a new American record, uh, became the first woman on a record legal course to run under 67 minutes from the United States, breaking her own American record record in the half marathon. We've seen, we saw several years ago, more than 10 years ago, Kara Goucher run um, under that 67 minute threshold, but it wasn't on a record eligible course. So this is really the first time an American woman broke 67 minutes and gets to call herself the American record holder with a run, you know, underneath that 67 minute threshold. Um, Mm -hmm. I was really looking forward to Taranish Dababa's return to the roads. I thought Mm -hmm. like if she's coming all the way to Houston again, like there's maybe there's a little bit of money, but it's not, you know, she's not getting big bucks from Houston. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought for sure she was ready to put down a major performance. She's been gone for four years, um, had two kids in that time, but I think she was like 16 or eight. I mean, she ran a 113. There was, there was like seven, eight, maybe nine American women ahead of her in the half. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, while Emily, including including Molly Huddle, including uh, Jenny Simpson. Yeah. So yeah, some Um, interesting American women. So yeah, why Emily's performance was amazing. Um, I thought I was, I was super, I don't know. I was kind of focused on, on Dababa, but I will say about Sisson's performance. And she said this right after that. She just went out too fast. It's rare to see her run and see her positive split every Mm -hmm. single split, but every single 5k split for her got slower and slower and slower. And then right at the end, like the last kilometer, she picked it up a tiny bit, but she Mm -hmm. had, uh, Gosh, I just, I really think in her wheelhouse is like 6630, breaking that is no problem. And it'd be really cool to, she's pretty fired up about the half marathon. It'd be pretty cool to see an American woman, you know, get in the low 66s or even below it. Um, no, we should no, be there. Be cool. 
That would so, be cool. And she she suggested that with a more evenly paced, with a more intelligent race, that she could probably do that. But yeah, all three of the the women's podium went out super hard in the women's half marathon. Third place was a woman named Jess Warner Judd from Great Britain. She ran sixty seven nineteen. Um, she actually has the distinction of of having run under two minutes for eight hundred, and now running under sixty eight minutes for half marathon. So. Um, pretty impressive range there on her part. A little bit closer to home, we had some people. Uh, uh, my friend and training partner, Adi Wetzels, uh, ran uh, the marathon and completed that. My friend, Katie Burke, ran the marathon. She's the one that inspired a big group of us all to, all to go. I had 15 people on my tracker, um, uh, ran the marathon as well. Um, uh, friend of the podcast, Justin Smith, uh, ran the marathon. I ended up running about half the marathon uh, with him, maybe even a little bit more than that. He caught up to me in mile two and then pulled away from me around mile 15 or 16. And then I caught back up with him around mile 19 um, um, when when things kind of started to go south for him because I think it was a little bit warmer than he wanted it to be. And then one other friend of the podcast, Eric. Yeah. So a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Brian Hetherington, um, actually roomed with George the night before the race. Is that correct? That is right. And uh, Brian went out. Um, was this his first actual marathon? This is this was not his. This is his first uh, real marathon. Non, yeah, not like like so so, well, so so he had he had jogged through a marathon in the past. Okay. Um, and then he had also um uh done two marathon runs at the tail end of Ironman triathlons. Right. So uh, Brian went out and uh, he's part of our Zwift group and our run group uh, from Georgia Tech and he's part of our Blue Ridge Relay team and looking at Brian's uh, Strava you could see that he went out about 640 he dropped a couple uh, 648 644 642 638s and he's in talking to Brian after the race he said I just felt good mm -hmm. you know it didn't feel like I was working really hard it felt like things were going well. And I thought if I was going to get under three, I had to go for it. So he went for it. Um, unfortunately, at about mile 18, everything caught up with him. Uh, the, the previous uh, 17 miles caught up with him. And so, um, but yeah, I, I valiant effort by Brian, really impressed. But I think, uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention it was a great effort. I think he, I think he did really well. You can probably sum up his race by saying that that he ran a half marathon PR and a marathon PR on the same day. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but the uh, the marathon PR was I mean it was a thirty minute marathon PR. So so um, ultimately, even though he fell a little bit short of his sub three goal, you can't knock a thirty minute PR for sure. So good for him. Good for him. All right. Last word I want to say about the uh, the Houston marathon here um, is my shoe issue. Um, and I alluded to this a little while ago, I wore the endorphin speeds, um, and I've worn endorphin speeds and I think it's a great pair of shoes. The original version one speeds. Um, I bought a pair when they first came out a couple years ago, and I've worn this particular pair of shoes, um, for lots of different races, including every single leg of the Blue Ridge Relay just this past year. Um, and, and, um, I am thinking of wearing them for the 40 mile strolling gym, um, which is entirely on roads on a rolling course uh, in May. And so I said, well, I have this opportunity to run a marathon here. Let me wear them during this marathon and make sure. Let me test them out. Now, I should say maybe three miles into the race, I was a little bit annoyed with myself for wearing a less fast 
pair of shoes. I was wishing I was I was like, why did I just give up time? Um, why why did I just you know give time over to the people that I'm running against here? Why didn't I wear my fastest shoes? Um, but I did get a good test of them, and as much as I still like the shoes, they didn't quite pass the test. <laughs> I can um, fix that. So how can you fix that? You are wearing the original speeds. I am. Which is fine because they don't have many miles on them. Mm -hmm. um, but the Speed 3, which is out right now, has the cushioning, I think, that you need that by the time you got to that 18, 20 mile mark, your feet would, would have still felt fine. Okay. Now, is it a shoe for 40 miles? It could be. But I think if you had if you had had the threes on or something comparable, you definitely would have made it through that full marathon without, mm. you know, thinking too much about how bad your feet hurt. I was definitely thinking about that in the last four miles. Now, mind you, everything kind of hurt in the last four miles. And so so the the X factor here is that I wasn't super well trained to run a hard road marathon. Um, and so it could be just be that my feet were hurting because I haven't spent enough that enough time running hard on asphalt over the course of the past couple of months. Okay, fair. Um, but my feet were hurting for real in the in that last 10K. I believe um, it. And I cannot imagine running an additional so, 14 miles on that pair of shoes. I, I um, think there's something about what Saucony put into the whole first rendition of the endorphin line, the shift, the speed, and the pro, where after a certain point of time, the shoe just becomes too hard and too uncomfortable to wear. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. felt it in the pro for sure, I like felt in the it marathon. In the pro for sure. mm -hmm. um, and I could, and I always thought the speed was a more comfortable shoe, but I just, I think that they've greatly improved on, on the comfortability of them, uh, mm -hmm. especially with the threes. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think All you right. should try the threes and right. see if that can be your shoe for strolling to. Maybe, maybe. The only problem with that strategy is that I already have a second <laughs> pair of version ones in my closet. <laughs> but it's a great shoe for so many other things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I'll, I'll definitely still wear them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. But it's sure. not a shoe for a 40 mile race. Yeah. Yeah. 40 miles on asphalt. That's tricky. That's a tricky combo. Yeah. Um, um, and so, yeah, I'll get it figured out. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, if anybody listening has any good shoe suggestions for a 40 mile on asphalt run, uh, by all means, let me know. Um, I mean, I'll definitely carry my training shoes with me. I'll definitely have the deviate nitros with me in a bag such that my crew can switch me over to them if need be during the race. Um, but I'd obviously rather not switch shoes. And I obviously would rather not wear heavier shoes. I'd rather wear lighter shoes, if, if not necessarily light shoes. So we'll who see. is your crew? Funny you should ask, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> What is this crew you're talking about? Maybe we should talk about that a little bit more <laughs> once the podcast is over. You, um, you sound so uh, so prepared. <laughs> I don't believe for one second you have a crew lined up. I have one crew member lined up. Pacey. So 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 no, I have <laughs> okay. I have a tentative commitment from one crew member, but but I have a few other people I do need to talk to over the course of the next couple of months. I think it's just my my focus right now is Mountain Mist and and Austin, and so once I'm on the other side of those, I'll probably start making bona fide plans for having a crew at Strolling Gym. That's fair. And I will make bona fide shoe plans, I hope as well. So like I said, if anybody else has other suggestions besides the speed three, even though that is a good suggestion, uh, I am open to it. So for sure, for sure. Um, Eric had to dip out, 
had to go to a meeting as sometimes happens since we tend to record during the middle of the day on Wednesdays. But last word, Michelle. Oh, today is Wednesday. I'm really looking forward to my strength workout later today. Absolutely. I hope I do it so that when this releases on Friday and people text me and ask me to do actually do your strength workout Wednesday evening, I can say, yes, I did it. So that seems like a, like a (laughs) fine motivation. So whatever it takes. Very good. Very good. And thanks everybody for listening. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at pleasant podcast, on Instagram at most pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Be sure to share us with your friends. We're brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com. Their Twitter is at ITL Coaching, and their Facebook group is facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them on Instagram at ITL Coaching. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at highechelonCPA.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.